Hello, and welcome to the Fuck a Diet podcast. I am your host, Caroline Dooner, and today I'm going to be doing a solo episode for you. I have some great interviews lined up. We will be getting back to interviews with people who can expand the conversation of the Fuck a Diet and especially expand the um, conversation that I'm going to be having with you today about privilege and intersectionality and overlapping privileges. So you will be getting more uh, firsthand experiences and more expertise beyond just my little spiel. Um, But I did not get my act together in time, so those will be coming in future episodes. And today I'm going to give you my overview of privilege, intersectionality, and overlapping privileges and how it works. Um, The reason that I want to do this, even though I do talk about this a little bit in my book, so if you haven't read it, as usual, I do recommend it, but I posted on Instagram about diet, oh Molly, give me a break. All right, I, I, I just waited that one out. She likes to dig. It's a whole thing. She digs in the hardwood floor to try and make more comfortable spot for her to sleep in. Okay, the reason that I'm talking about privileges and intersectionality today is because about two weeks ago, I posted on Instagram about diet culture being a manifestation of white supremacy. And what I noticed was that for some people reading it, it was like throwing people into the pool before they learned how to swim because I casually mentioned white privilege in passing and many people responded saying that they were white but they did not have privilege and I realized uh, I did not take Maria von Trapp's advice to start from the very beginning, the very good place to start. So that is what this is going to be. Now for a lot of you, you may know the majority if not all of what I'm going to be talking about. Um, But this is meant to be an intro, intro, intro for people who have not really begun to explore um, what it means to have a certain privilege, but maybe not other privileges, and to understand intersectionality and overlapping privileges. And of course, I'm going to start off talking about um, thin privilege and fat phobia, because that is the angle that I usually take and the you know, the way I usually talk about this in regards to the fuck a diet. Um, But then we're going to expand it and talk about the other overlapping privileges and we'll just see, we'll just see what happens. But first, let me talk about what intersectionality is. I got some of this from Wikipedia because that's just how I'm rolling here. Okay, intersectionality is a theoretical framework for understanding how aspects of a person's social identities might combine to create unique modes of discrimination. Intersectionality identifies injustices that are felt by people due to a combination of factors. So different factors that can overlap. There are more than this, but this is just a place to start. So the one that we talk about here a lot is body size. Then there is race. White privilege is a part of that, but there's a lot of overlapping racial identities that have different levels of privilege. Sexual orientation, gender, male versus woman. So that would be, you know, when we talk about sexism or 
um, misogyny or the patriarchy. We're talking about how there is male privilege and discrimination against women. Then there is gender expression. So um, cis versus trans or non-binary, um, your gender identity. And so the privilege would be to be born into the body that you identify with, right? So you don't need to go through that gender dysphoria where you don't feel like you can be yourself and you have to conform to the binary that has basically been set out by the patriarchy and religion and blah, blah, blah. Okay. And white supremacy. We're going to talk about all of that later. Then there's class, the financial, the financial situation that you're born into or even make it into. Then there's, you know, if you say you have a lot of success with a business that you started when you were young, you may begin to assume that if you can do it, anyone can do it. And that is privilege as well, because if everyone could do it, everyone would fucking do it. Don't you see? Okay. Then there's even beauty, which really means fitting into Eurocentric beauty standards. And that is also a facet of white supremacy, which we will also talk about more later. Okay. So as I said, the piece of this that I talk about the most is thin privilege and fat phobia and weight stigma. That is the, this is like the lens or the, you know, the entry point into this conversation of privilege from the perspective of the fuck it diet. So let us talk about fat phobia and thin privilege as if I haven't talked about it a million times before. This is a chance to talk about it again. Or what if this is the first episode you're ever listening to? Welcome. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Okay. We live in a fat phobic world. A world that idolizes, even fetishizes, and prioritizes thinner or leaner bodies, which means that people who are naturally in thinner bodies have luck. Privilege, that is the meaning of privilege, it's luck. To naturally exist in a thinner body and to fit in with ease. Whereas people in bigger bodies are marginalized and stigmatized and have... Uh, not they do not have the access to um, clothes, to medical care, to being respected, to the assumptions that we make about people in thinner bodies versus the assumptions we make about people in larger bodies. And the trickier thing about fat phobia and thin privilege is because um, because we can, or a lot of people can and do diet and exercise and may be able to change their bodies to a certain extent, lots of people think that body size is not a privilege. We think it's actually a good measure of character and responsibility and hard work, but that is ignoring our body's overall ability to fight back because it does fight back over a longer period of time. And because it's a longer period of time, it's not as immediately obvious to us. And when it does fight back and make us hungrier or make us put on weight, even if we're sticking to the diet, we assume that that's just us losing our willpower. And so naturally thinner people who spend a lot of time working out or thinking about what they eat can often think that their body is all because of dedication and hard work ignoring the fact that at least a big chunk of it is the fact that their body is meant to be thinner in the first place. And they don't happen to be fighting against a larger body size that they might be meant to be in, that other people are meant to be in. So they have 
thin privilege, but often chalk it all up to their no excuses lifestyle. It's also ignoring the fact that a lot of people who do successfully keep their weight low, or even when people can keep their weight lower than their body wants to, they may have an eating disorder or disordered eating that also happens to be socially acceptable, praised, and admired because we do not have a lot of literacy around that fuzzy line between a passion for health and wellness and exercise and disordered eating. I argue that that line is very, very fuzzy and there is huge overlap between the people who are quote unquote passionate about healthy living and people with disordered eating. And that is what makes this so tricky and dangerous. It's also ignoring the fact that some people are truly meant to be in bigger bodies, genetically or otherwise, from environmental factors or health factors. And forcing themselves to be in a smaller body to fit in and experience something privileged can be really, really bad for them mentally and physically. So, we live in a world where thinness is seen as superior, even morally superior, to fatness. And also, like most privileges, there is a spectrum. So even even people who don't think of themselves as thin may still have some thin privilege. So people in um, bodies that are not quote-unquote skinny or thin, but who are not fat or who do not have to shop for plus-size clothing, they definitely benefit from some thin privilege, even if they don't um, think they do or even if they don't benefit from as much than privilege because it is a spectrum. And then even within the different um, levels of fatness, which I'm going to link to an article that kind of breaks that down. Um, There are small fat people, there are mid fat people, large fat, infinifat. There are different ways that fat people uh, categorize their own body size so they don't have to categorize their body size by body size by BMI which is inherently flawed and stigmatizing I've linked to that in the show notes if you'd like to read more about that but even small fat people have more thin privilege compared to people in super fat or infinifat or even larger bodies than them so it is a spectrum and pr- most of these um, most of these uh, in overlapping, sorry, overlapping privileges have a spectrum as well because there are some people who may not fit into, um, who not who may not like. Let's take uh, heterosexuality for instance. So there may be people who are not heterosexual, but they sort of are heterosexual passing, or people who um, who are not white but who are white passing, who's who in many circumstances get to sort of slide by and not experience the stigma or the discrimination, even if other areas of their life, they do not get to experience that privilege. So, you know, it is nuanced, it is complex. There are many layers to it, which is another reason why we need to just be open to it. Listen, when you have a privilege, it's your job, it's our job. I am someone who has many, many, many privileges um, and always has, even before I knew about them. It is our job to listen, to just accept that there are things that we have not had to experience and that we may not understand, and to empathize and to be willing to figure out how we can use our privilege to make the world a kinder and more just place. 
So the way that overlapping privileges work is that someone who doesn't even, okay, so let's talk about thin privilege here. Even someone who doesn't have any other privileges of money or whiteness or heterosexuality, who is naturally thin, has thin privilege, even if they don't have other privileges and even if their life has been very, very, very difficult. So that is what I notice most when we just throw around the word privilege without really breaking it down and talking about how there are different different overlapping vectors of privilege and identity, people will hear, oh, well, you have white privilege and they'll get their defenses up and say, you know, I'm not privileged at all. I've had problems. I, you know, I have had trauma and I didn't grow up with money and I've had chronic illness and I, you know, all of this stuff, right? And and so instead of being able to say, you know, I do have white privilege, how interesting to look at it that way, we get all up in arms that this invalidates our personal struggle. And it is not meant to invalidate your personal struggle. You are allowed to have a very hard life and still have a lot of privilege. I personally had lots of problems. (laughs) I had lots of struggles, but I still had so much privilege throughout it, which made those struggles easier to overcome in some ways. I mean, it's really important to, to really be able to acknowledge that and to just understand that even if you've had struggles, real legitimate struggles it doesn't mean that you don't have some privileges so this hypothetical person who does not have the privilege of being born with a family with money who is not white who is not heterosexual who is naturally thin who has this thin privilege it means that even throughout all of their other struggles they have not had to deal with the struggles and the stigma that comes along with having a larger body. And so they can't fully understand what it's like. And so in this position, and I'm in this position, we have to listen and we have to learn and we have to um, defer to the people who have had the lived experience and believe them. So this past week, I took an anti-racist crash course with Chrissy King, who was on my last podcast episode, and it was really wonderful. If she, if you have the opportunity to take it, I highly recommend it. And one of the things she said that I really liked is that privilege is not something to be ashamed of or feel guilty about because we don't choose it. We don't choose privilege, and that's the whole point. It just happens. You're just born. None of us asked to be fucking born. It's I don't know if it's funny, but I think that all the time about my, about my dog. I'm like, oh, you poor thing. You did not ask to be born with such a heavy, you know, double coat, Bernie's mountain dog coat and have to live in this hot, sweltering, humid city. You poor thing. You didn't ask for this. But, you know, obviously that's all of us. None of us asked for this. None of literally nobody asked. Nobody has to be born. Okay, that was a little side side note. So yes, so privilege is not something that you chose. It just happens. It's luck. And privilege means that you don't even need to think about it or worry about certain things. One of the other things she said is that 
It is a privilege to learn about racism, or I'll add, a privilege to learn about fat phobia and not have to have lived it your whole life, experiencing it and experiencing the, you know, the effects of stigma and chronic stress, which are really bad for our mental and physical health. Um, and that's something that I, I wish that there was more literacy around as well, the social determinants of health and how much having certain privileges or not having certain privileges affects your quality of life and even your, your health, mental and physical. Because chronic stress and trauma and the effects of trauma affects our physical health. Another thing that she said um, is that, which is something also that I talk about in the day, but it was a really nice reminder, is that shame and guilt are not good motivators. So wallowing in shame and guilt over having privilege is not the best way to take action or to use your privilege for good or to examine your biases and examine the way your mind works, examine the things that you've taken on from the culture that you live on that you may have not um, you know, reflected on yet. Shame and guilt are not good motivators. It keeps you stuck. A better motivator is empathy. Okay, empathy and wanting to make the world a better, kinder place for other people. So as I already said, when we have a privilege, we want to defer to other people's expertise and lived experience. It is our job to listen and empathize and when possible, use our privilege to advocate for and help create a kinder and more just world. Okay, okay. So what I would like to do is I want to read from my book. All right. And I'm going to read from my book about thin privilege. And then we're going to move on to talking more about the patriarchy and white supremacy and how those things also shape other vectors of privilege that we are all operating under and either have or don't have. Okay. So this is on page 232 of the Fuck a Diet book by someone named Caroline Dooner. She's a bitch. Okay. The luck of the thin. How many of these apply to you? People assume you're unhealthy because of your size. People comment or judge the food you eat in the name of trying to be helpful. When you go to the doctor, they tell you to lose weight first instead of just treating the issue. Your health insurance rates are higher and airlines charge you extra to fly because of your size. You're less likely to get a raise or promotion at work than someone who is thinner. And that is cited. So that's fucking true, guys. It's true. I didn't. Well, it's all true. But that one especially is like, if you go to the back of the book. Well, I guess I'll, I guess I'll go to the back of the book and I'll link to it. Okay. You're welcome. You're the brunt of constant jokes about fat people stuffing their faces. The media describes your body shape as part of an epidemic. You can't find clothes in your size in major stores. If you are fat, you know all too well that you are not benefiting from the luck of the thin. You do not have the privilege of going through life with people ignoring your size. You feel the constant judgment, the stares, the eye rolls, the rudeness, the coldness, the blame. You may dread going to the doctor, flying on planes, or just having to go out into the world to face the large number of people who think they know something about you how you live, how you eat, or push their opinions on you disguised as concern for your health. 
thin privilege is a spectrum too, which I already said earlier. It's interesting for people who have never felt who who have never felt particularly thin to learn that they are still benefiting from some thin privilege, even if you aren't actually thin at all, but fall into a medium weight range, you can still benefit from thin privilege. And even at my highest weight, I still definitely had thin privilege. I could find clothes in my size in any store. Doctors didn't blame my health problems on my weight. I mean, actually, weirdly, they did when I was a teenager because I was diagnosed with PCOS and I was told to keep my weight down for the rest of my life. But I was already thin, so they weren't able to say, you did this to yourself. They just sort of like talked about weight and weight loss sort of as this like other thing that I should be thinking about. Okay, that was an aside, but I'm going to continue. And I was generally able to go through my life avoiding the judgments and assumptions that come along with having a fatter body. And even now, I'm writing a book about eating and gaining weight and I get to benefit from the fat positive movement while still being able to experience the benefit from thin privilege. That is why it's so important to hear from people who don't have thin privilege too. More about that in the next chapter that I'm probably not going to read, but you can read it yourself if you want to read my book. When you're thin, undereating and overexercising are seen as disordered and dangerous. But fat people who are doing the exact same thing are seen as doing what is responsible and necessary. Many fat people actually have anorexia. They're putting their bodies through extreme restriction as they are encouraged to do. But they still don't look like it because their weight set range is high. A weight requirement for diagnosing anorexia is becoming old school thinking. Behaviors define eating disorders, not body size. Both thin and fat people will experience the same hormonal starvation mode. The only difference is the external weight set point. One of my students told me that she got to a point where she was only eating vegetables and fat-free yogurt for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and had lost significant amounts of weight but her BMI was still in the quote-unquote overweight category. She didn't look like she had an eating disorder. In fact, if some, this is an aside too, if someone, there are many people who still would have maybe diagnosed her with having a binging or overeating um, eating disorder just based on her body size and not believing, like there's a big thing where people just, even doctors and eating disorder professionals who are still stuck in weight stigma and fat phobia don't believe fat people when they tell them that they're barely eating. They're like, mm, that's not true, you're lying. Or you're so stupid that you don't even know how much you're eating. It's ridiculous. Okay, I'm going to continue. So she didn't look like she had an eating disorder. She was also experiencing all the other signs of, all the other signs of starvation mode. Low body temperature, dry skin, trouble sleeping, but her doctors just praised her weight loss. They didn't ask what she was doing, but told her to keep it up and even told her that her dizzy spells and absent menstruation were because she still wasn't thin enough. Fuck you. Not because she wasn't eating enough. And you'll find this across the board. I've heard a mil, uh, not a million. I've heard probably at this point thousands of stories that are very similar to this. So we live in a society that praises fat people for being obsessed with losing weight, even when they develop eating disorders in the process. The extreme measures that fat people are expected to put themselves through, supposedly for their health, measures that are dangerous, unnatural, and have many known health complications is completely hypocritical. People are sometimes resistant to the idea of privilege 
because they fear that admitting privilege will invalidate the hardships they do face. But as we just discussed earlier, that is not how it works. You can have privilege and still have problems. Your life can still be hard even if you were born with certain privileges, like having a naturally thinner body or being born white, straight, rich, or whatever. All of those privileges are luck. Luck of fitting in with ease. Oh, luck of fitting in with ease. And they come with benefits that other people don't experience and that we often take for granted. Becoming aware of the things we've taken for granted will help us to create a kinder and more empathetic and aware society. Basically willing to listen to people who've had experiences different from you. Like right now, with the whole conversation of racism in America and around the world, if we are white or even a person of color who is not black, it is the time to listen to black people and to learn and to believe them. You know, it's not our time to be like, I don't know. I didn't, I haven't experienced anything like that. I haven't seen it with my own eyes. Okay. So continuing here on page 235, health has so much less to do with our own habits and so much more to do with our social and financial positions. I also cite that. I'll also link to that if you want me to, which I will. Doesn't I don't get to hear back from you whether you want it or not, so I'm just going to do it. Okay, how oppressed are you? How stuck and unseen do you feel? How difficult is it for you to make your ends meet and make things work? How hard is it for you to take time for yourself, to breathe a sigh of relief? How marginalized are you by society? How powerless do you feel? How hated do you feel by other groups? How unsafe do you feel? How much are you taught to hate yourself and blame yourself? There was an experiment in the 1990s that gave diabetes patients housing vouchers and their symptoms improved just from better housing. I will also cite that. It's number 69 in the back of my book. Not from healthcare, not from drugs, not from exercise, but from a better life experience and less stress. Uh, Stress is so connected to diabetes. Okay. Um, A different study found that institutionalized children with access to similar diets grew, grew, their bodies grew at different rates depending on whether they were tended by warm or stern caregivers. And in case it's not obvious, people who were tended by warm caregivers grew at a better um, rate. How we are treated matters. So when fat people are treated like shit, And you can also substitute when black people or people of color are treated like shit and develop stress-related health problems. Specifically, fat people are told that their health problems are their own fault because of their weight. They are shamed and overtly told to diet, but the shame and stress is doing the most damage in the first place. This sets up a terrible cycle of dieting, stress, and health problems. There is no winning in this paradigm. And my friend, this is something green juice cannot cure. Bum, bum, bum. Okay. Okay. I took a little break from recording so I could go, uh, eat lunch, take a walk. And now it's raining and extremely hot outside. So Molly is like losing her mind and making me lose mine because I know you want to run. I know you want to play. Okay. But I know that you're stuck inside. And I have to finish this podcast episode. Yeah. And she just 
extended her hand to me so we could come to an agreement. Will you let me finish this and be quiet so I can just finish this as quickly as possible? Thank you. I bet she was nodding to me. Okay. Next, what we need to do is talk about the systems that keep all of these hierarchies in place. We are going to talk about white supremacy, which is a scary sounding thing. I'm, I'm gonna explain the context in which we are talking about white supremacy and we're gonna talk about the patriarchy. Oh my God, see, she's just like looking for something to do. God damn it. Molly, 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 Molly. Oh my god. Okay. I'm so sorry. I don't want to burden you with my like recording problems, but you know what? I always do. I always do. So basically, because we're still in quarantine, I can't have her watched. And because it's so hot outside, I haven't been able to exercise her the way that she deserves. And right now it's raining, so it's not even like I can go take her for a five to 10 minute walk, which would make her extremely hot and make her just lie there for a little while so I could finish recording this. And so I gave her a bone that I thought might be, you know, like a quieter bone. And she was happy and she started chewing it and it was so loud. And then I screamed, not at her, just at the world, myself started sweating profusely I'm not quite sure why and now I'm, upstairs. now I'm upstairs in my bedroom where it's much more echoey and so I and so that you may notice that the sound quality is worse there's also skylights above my head where the roof is and it's raining so you may hear that too I can't record tomorrow and I'll tell you why because it's freaking Father's Day and I'm going to the shore, okay, to spend time. <sighs> okay, let me talk about this. So I said that we're gonna talk about white supremacy and the patriarchy, and the patriarchy is actually a part of white supremacy. Now, this is from, um, this is from Wikipedia. The term white supremacy is used in some academic studies of racial power to denote a system of structural or societal racism, which privileges white people over others, regardless of the presence or the absence of racial hatred. And that is what we're talking about. We're not talking about white supremacy like the KKK, where people are consciously thinking, I consciously believe that white people are better than other people and people who are not white than people of color. We're not talking here about conscious racism. We're talking about a system that prioritizes whiteness and white um, holidays and and um, family structure and on and on. And we're gonna get. I'm gonna get into that. All right, so an account that I absolutely love and that I highly recommend you follow and support and learn from is The Conscious Kid. The Conscious Kid is parenting and education through a critical race lens. 
Okay, black and brown owned. So it's speaking from the perspective of people of color, but of course in the past couple of weeks, it's been specifically talking about the black experience because that is the conversation that we're happening, that is happening in our country and world right now. So I'm going to read you three key posts that I will be linking to, and you can go read them yourself. You can follow the account. I highly recommend that you do. And the first one is on dun, 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 white supremacy. And this, I read this, when did it come out? It came out over a month ago. I read the post and I had um, epiphanies. Like it really was clarifying for me. And then like an, a couple hours later, the post was taken down um, on Instagram. Instagram censored it. And that was actually like two days after Instagram had censored my post about dieting, uh, seeming like it works in the beginning and like shutting people out of their accounts. Um, so I think Instagram was really like the, the AI, the artificial intelligence was really overzealous in a way that's like a little freaky. Um, and then they talked to Instagram and it was a whole thing. So they, they put it back up and this is what it says. So this is white supremacy. Um, in the caption, it says white supremacy is a system of structural or societal racism, which privileges white people and or Western cultural practices, regardless of the presence or the absence of racial hatred, just like just like good old Wikipedia said, meaning anything that falls outside of these white or Western norms are often othered and subordinated. Naming the dominant cultural norms of whiteness helps to create awareness around when we privilege dominant cultural norms and when we displace or fail to recognize non-dominant forms of cultural capital. This blew my mind. And this is also um, created by Dr. Judith H. Katz. So you can find all the information in the study. They reference a study also in the, um, actually, let me read this out loud. Let me see where to start. White people frequently do not experience their culture or cultural norm as a culture because as the officially sanctioned and high status culture, it just is. That's the other thing with all these privileges. You just fit in with ease in the culture that you don't even need to think about it being a culture because it just is. And that is a privilege. White middle-class culture is often viewed as a standard and therefore all other forms and expressions of quote-unquote culture are judged in, compar in comparison to this norm. And this is from a study, Skeggs, 2014. And because it is so normalized, it can be hard to see, which only adds to its powerful hold. So this is some of the things that they mention in this post and there are many slides. So the holidays are based on Christian holidays, based on white history and male leaders. History is based on Northern European immigrants' experience to the United States. There's a heavy focus on the British Empire. There's a primacy of Western, meaning Greek and Roman tradition. Uh, time. This is the part that kind of blew my mind. Time. There's an adherence to rigid time schedules, and time is viewed as a commodity. There's a focus on Protestant work ethic. Hard work is the key to success. Work before play. If you didn't meet your goals, you didn't work hard enough. If you hear ambient noises, it's just the rain and the thunder and my air conditioning and the echo in this room that I'm in right now. Okay, uh, let's go back. Rugged individualism, self-reliance, 
independence and autonomy highly valued and rewarded, individuals assumed to be in control of their environment, and quote-unquote, you get what you deserve. Competition, be number one, win at all costs, the winner-loser dichotomy, action orientation, master and control nature, uh, to uh, master and control nature. <laughs> okay, must always do something about a situation. Aggressiveness and extroversion. Majority rules. Okay. Um, when whites have power is what it says. Communication. The king's English rules. Written tradition. Avoid conflict. Um, don't show emotion. Don't discuss personal life. Be polite. Um, justice is based on, based on English common law. Protect property and entitlements. Intent counts. All of these things. Um, I, I recommend that you read it and just see how it lands with you. Uh, but these things, re it really did blow my mind to read this because those are all things that I take for granted as something that just is, but without really taking time to think about how um, it is one culture. And then wealth equals worth, heavy value on ownership of goods, space, property, your job is how you are, respect authority, emphasis on the scientific method, um, aesthetics based on European culture. This is big. This is one of the big overlaps with, um, with diet culture and patriarchy. So aesthetics are based on European culture. Women's beauty is based on blonde, thin, Barbie. Man's attractiveness is based on econ ec economic status, power, and intellect. Steak and potatoes, bland is best. That made me laugh. Um, and that's the entire post. It really did blow my mind because I'd never heard it put in, in these terms before. And it also made it very, very clear to me how diet culture is a manifestation of this. Okay, so the next one, and this is also a uh, The Conscious Kid post that I will also link to. It says, what is patriarchy? Okay, so patriarchy is a social system in which men hold primary power in roles of political leadership, moral authority, societal privilege, and control of property. Patriarchy is institutionalized in media, schooling, family, and laws. It shapes dynamics at the family, community, economic, and government level. Patriarchy is central to white supremacy. While white women are members of an oppressed group based on gender, they still experience privilege based on race. The United States is a patriarchy. So patriarchal societies perpetuate toxic masculinity, which perpetuates sexual assault, sexual aggression, rape culture, homophobia, transphobia, misogyny, and domestic violence. Women's bodies are controlled sexualized and commodified. Women are expected to conform to typically feminine gender norms such as being being accommodating, smiling and wearing makeup. Men are expected to and diet, right? Men are expected to conform to typically masculine and both of those things are in quotes, typically feminine and typically masculine. Gender norms such as aggression and not showing emotion. Women are underrepresented in senior positions in politics and business. The higher you look, the maler it gets. 93% of Fortune 500 CEOs are male as of 2020. There has never been a woman president. Most wives take their husband's surname. 
Among U.S.-born married women, only 6% had a surname that differed from their husbands in 2004. It was not until the 1970s that married women could even legally use their maiden names. I didn't even know that. Up until that time, state laws required a woman to use her husband's name to vote, to do banking, or to get a passport. The holidays celebrated in the U.S. almost always celebrate men. Columbus Day, President's Day, MLK Jr. Day, St. Patrick's Day. History books are often told from the male perspective and tend to focus on male figures rather than female figures. I wonder why, because females weren't allowed to fucking do anything for the most part. Um, so there you have it. There, there's more. I recommend that you click on this and read all of it. Um, but the patriarchy is a manifestation of white supremacy, which is a system. Again, it's not... It's not just how you define the KKK. It is the system that in America we have always operated under. And everything else is considered other. Everything else is marginalized, stigmatized, judged, ostracized, and so just, just from this perspective alone, we can see how diet culture is a manifestation of white supremacy, Eurocentric beauty standards, which are small features, thinness, et cetera, et cetera, and also the patriarchy and the male gaze and male, men having power and women wanting to fit in to the role that they are expected to fit into. And... It's interesting because I grew up believing that all of that was over while at the exact same time <laughs> putting pressure on myself to be that, you know, Euro Eurocentric thin beauty who was, uh, you know, adored and revered under the male gaze. So it's definitely not fucking over. And if you're listening to this, you probably know that um, but putting it in these terms especially just the way that the conscious kid account and those posts that I read part of you should definitely read more of them and I'm going to read one more of them too um, frames it in a way that that makes it very very clear to me and makes it very clear how diet culture is a manifestation of white supremacy and the patriarchy but also, if you haven't heard me mention this before, I'm going to mention it again. I highly recommend you read the book Fearing the Black Body by Sabrina Strings because it gives a historical context to how, when and how in our history of the United States and Europe, blackness was associated with fatness and fatness was associated with blackness it was associated with being greedy and not having self-control and it was used as a justification for slavery while thinness was associated with whiteness and piousness and control and being reserved and not being ruled by um you know, uh, desires for food and sex. So it is also connected, very connected in that way. Of course, that's not how we consciously think of fatness these days. However, that is the root of it. And 
even still there is this focus on eurocentric beauty standards which is a man which is what we're trying to do with dieting and plastic surgery and why um why they are connected so i am hearing my the, the irony of all of this is i have been watching on bravo ladies of london <sighs> which is fully ironic because that's kind of what i'm talking about right now but ladies of london is a bravo show it's basically like a real housewives show but based in London and it's these American women who've moved to London with their husbands which with their very rich husbands and are and they also have English women in the show and we get to like a lot of the drama comes from like oh these American women like don't understand um don't understand manners and they're so loud and they you know they'll never be a part of english society so but and then but a lot of the women who've been who have been living in england for a long time but are american have these hybrid accents and there are some and i can't freaking help myself when i listen to someone talking for a long time i just start talking that way and so i've heard myself say a couple words while i'm trying to explain this that's this like a weird creepy non-accent mid-atlantic accent like moira rose from schitt's creek which if you've been listening to this podcast long enough you'll know that i don't like schitt's creek i don't think it's funny but i do think moira rose is funny okay all right so yes i am the problem okay let's um i would like to read one more post and I'm not reading all of these, so if you would like to click on the links in the show notes to read through all of the slides on these posts, you can get like the full picture. I'm just giving a little boop. Okay, so this post is called Structural, Ra Structural Racism versus Individual Racism because there is a difference. Structural racism is a system, as a system, again, we're talking about systems here because you can say you're not racist all you want, which if you listen to the last episode, I talk about why it might not be a good idea to say that you're not racist because that shuts down the conversation and we all have biases that we need to examine. But no matter what, we still have structural racism. So structural racism is a system in which public policies, institutional practices, cultural representations, and other norms work in various, often reinforcing ways to perpetuate racial group inequity. It's primarily characterized by white supremacy, the preferential treatment, privilege, power, access, and opportunities for white people at the expense of cumulative and chronic adverse outcomes for people of color. I'm going to click through and get to individual racism. I highly recommend that you click on the conscious kid and read through all of these things yourself and follow them. I love their posts. Okay. Individual racism refers to an individual's racist assumptions, beliefs, and or behaviors and is quote unquote, a form of racial, racial discrimination that stems from conscious and unconscious personal prejudice. So the reason that I'm talking about white supremacy as a system, and the patriarchy as a system, which is a subset um, of white supremacy, is that all of these quote unquote identities, and I don't know that identity is the right word really, um, aspects of a person's social identities, okay, uh, that I mentioned in the beginning, body size, race, sexual orientation, gen your gender, 
and then your gender expression. So gender, male versus woman, that, you know, understanding the patriarchy makes it clear that the male is the privileged person in that dynamic and the woman is less privileged and and historically has had less power and even still systemically has less power. Just the fact that rape victims aren't fucking believed is is an example of that. And then there's gender expression. So if you are straying from being cis, um, identifying with the gender that is associated with your sex, that is also something that will have you be oppressed or traumatized or feel out of place. And like you can't be the full expression of who you want to be within the culture that we live in unless you want to be stigmatized, ostracized, not understood. Uh, and beyond that, just killed or, um, or not given um, medical treatment that you deserve and need and on and on and on. And then there's just money, 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 money. <sighs> money is such a privilege and yes, we can make it, but not everybody can. The deal with this topic of privilege and marginalization and access and the social determinants of health and the PTSD and trauma of being marginalized and stigmatized and even just micro... There's, there's so much here that could and should be talked about. But I've reached the end of my intellectual mental and emotional rope as far as this particular podcast episode is concerned. And so my promise to you is that I am going to be having conversations with people who can and will take this conversation much further with much more nuance, with much more personal experience. And that is what I intend to, I mean, it's already what I wanted to be doing with this podcast, but I'm going to continue. And I experienced diet culture and um, and white supremacy and patriarchy through a very privileged lens. And so much of my self-hatred and dieting and you know, wanting to have a different face and a different body and wanting to be tiny and small so I could be cast in roles that, we associate with sweetness and having a sweet voice, which I always had. Those are, those were all, you know, negative manifestations of living in this culture. However, I always had so much privilege, even within the system. I have always had thin privilege. I've always had white privilege. I've always had the safety net of parents who had money to spare and help me. And I always knew that they would help me if I needed it. And that is a humongous leg up. I mean, in so many ways. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that both for myself and for you and to to even just think about how if I was so negatively affected by the system in place and by Eurocentric beauty standards, which for the most part I fit into anyway, 
I can only imagine and listen to and learn from and believe the people who fit into them even less and have struggled even more and have been so much more oppressed in so many, many, many ways. And I think that that's a big part of what needs to be happening right now. I mean, there's so much more that I don't know. There's so much more. There's so much that I haven't experienced. You know, I consider myself someone who is open and willing and wanting to learn and to and to help and to um, you know to not hide behind my luck and my privilege but there are always places where we need to do that more and and so somebody as somebody who talks about diet culture and exhaustion and fitting into this ideal while being relatively close to it in the first place I think it's just it's something that I've always had to navigate and I will always continue have to to have to navigate to to stay in my lane in some ways and teach um teach from my own personal experience while understanding that it's only one tiny slice of the puzzle and also to always try to make sure that I am helping more than I'm harming and then to be open to feedback to learn more and that is what I intend to do so thank you for listening to this I hope that it in the very least brought you a little bit of clarity because you know I for a long time I I understood what the patriarchy was and you know I, I've I've always loved the idea of smashing the patriarchy but I never liked when people said um, the future is female because I felt like First of all, oh shit, man, shit, shit, shit. That's my cue, I'm done. I will talk to you more in two weeks. This conversation is far from over. This was like intro, 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 intro. I, this is, this is stuff that I have been learning that I'm continuing to learn. I hope that you find anti-racist educators who are black and people of color. Oh my God, I have to get off. But what I am also gonna do is I'm going to share some of my bloopers as usual. Okay, goodbye, thank you for listening. I hope that this was a little bit clarifying and that we can all do our part to become more aware, more empathetic people to make the world a more just place. Okay, okay, all right, okay, all right, goodbye. And the reason I'm sharing these bloopers is just to illustrate, you know, oh look, Molly's in from the from the pouring rain. Hi, if you shake and get all over my computer, I will scream. The reason I'm sharing the bloopers is because I want you to understand why I had to remove myself and go upstairs into my worse, do you hear the rain? Had to go upstairs <laughs> to get away from my dog. I love you guys. I hope you scream for me and for you and uh bye she's digging okay she's digging in my hardwood floor trying to make it more comfortable it's not gonna work 
It's never going to work. Will you lie down? Ugh. Why? Molly, lie down. Everything's going to be okay, okay? <laughs> she just gave me a death glare. Good girl. Jesus. That's what that... <laughs> Fuck my brain. That's what that is, okay? Fuck. All of those privileges are lost. Oh my god! And I'm even going to be reading other people's explanations of it and I will share those sources with you both while I'm reading it. Oh my god, she's so loud. I wanna I'm gonna crawl out of my skin. And rugged individualism. Self-reliance, individual. Um the individual is primary unit. I don't really know what that means, but I guess uh maybe you do. Hello. <laughs> um but I'm very excited about um but no shit. <laughs> 